Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. Today we're going to talk again about male fertility. Now we don't talk about it very much in these podcasts, although it's 30 to 40% of the reasons why a couple don't get pregnant. That problem with male sperm can be from a variety of causes and can vary from being mild to moderate to severe or none. If you have no sperm, azoospermia is obviously an impossibility to get pregnant. Although I have to say, I've told men in the past that they've had no sperm and there was no chance of getting pregnant and then six months later I've got a phone call saying, guess what, I'm pregnant. So these days I don't say it's never. Sperm in some situations can regenerate. I actually saw a man today who I think his sperm is going to regenerate. He's an interesting case in that he was overweight. He decided that to deal with that, he was going to have bariatric surgery. In other words, the size of his stomach was going to be reduced, and that works very, very well for weight loss. And it certainly worked for him. He went from over 100 kilos down to 47 kilos in the last six months. Now, they had a baby before without any trouble, and they've been trying for the last six months or so, and he decided that he'd get his sperm tested and there was virtually no sperm there. We went through all the tests that we normally do to check his pituitary hormones, uh, to check for genetic abnormalities that might lead to a low sperm count, and repeated the sperm test and it still was low. Turns out that he had very low pituitary hormones. So his pituitary gland had been suppressed, suppressed by weight loss. You've probably all heard about young girls or teenage girls who lose weight and their periods stop and they stop because the pituitary is turned off and I think that was the mechanism for this guy that by losing so much weight he'd actually switched off his pituitary and the hormones from there are what drives sperm production so 
what I'm trying to do is to stimulate his pituitary to work or if that fails we can actually stimulate the testicles directly by injection of pituitary hormones. So the outlook for him is actually very very good. Uh, the question is will he be patient enough or will they be patient enough for the sperm to get back to levels that will produce a spontaneous pregnancy or will they want to rush on into doing IVF. The problem that they've got in this day and age none of us like waiting for anything. A sperm from the time it starts to develop in the testicle to the time it's released and ejaculated by the male into the female genital tract takes about 90 days. Only the last minute or two is finding its way in the right place. But other 90 days is production line going through the processes of the germ cells through to the spermatid to the spermatogonia to the and so on and so on until it becomes a little tadpole that can swim. But it does take 90 days. So even when we get this man's hormones working properly, it's going to be another three months before we move back to having a normal sperm count. That's an optimistic story. Unfortunately, the vast majority of men who have very low sperm counts, not necessarily no sperm, but certainly low sperm counts, the odds of improving that sperm are actually very small. Because mostly reduced production line is because either the production line doesn't exist in any more than a, a couple of little pockets in the testicle or that the overall production line has never been any good. They were born, the testicles never formed the spermatogenic pathways that they should have done and there's really nothing that medicine can do to improve that. In that situation we still have a way out. When I started doing infertility back in the 80s those men were destined not to produce a genetically similar child because they'd have to use donor sperm. In 1992, however, a guy called Palumbo, working in Brussels, accidentally injected an egg with sperm when he was trying to do a different technique which had been developed, which was not being very successful, but he accidentally put a sperm inside the actual egg. And lo and behold, he got an embryo, and lo and behold, he got a baby, and that was published in The Lancet in 1992. And that was the first case of what's called ICSI. There was actually a debate as to whether to call it ICSI or DISCO. IVF doctors have enjoyed using synonyms a fair bit. GIFT, IVF, all those sorts of things. So the debate was between ICSI and DISCO. So ICSI was intracytoplasmic sperm injection. DISCO, which would have been a much more trendy name, which was developed by a different group who were trying to do the same thing, is short for direct insemination of the sperm of the oocyte. Anyway, ICSI won because they got the first pregnancy. So that's men with very low sperm counts, but sperm, because we only need in ICSI to have one sperm for every egg that we collect. So usually it's somewhere between 10 and 20 eggs, and so we only need 10 or 20 sperm. But they do need to be good sperm. And the problem as you get lower in terms of concentration of sperm, the quality also goes off. Having a very good laboratory that can pick the tall, dark, handsome, good-looking sperm is very important in getting success rates. If there's no sperm at all, it isn't necessarily the testicle that's the problem. It can be that, but also it can be that there's a blockage between the testicle and coming out of the penis at the time of the ejaculation. And along that tract, you can have blockages caused by infections. Chlamydia and gonococcal infection can cause scarring of the tubes the vas deferens. Prostate problems, infection, can block off the tubes because the inflammation 
that occurs can block off what are very narrow tubes as they come down through the prostate and head towards the penis. And going back closer to the testicle, you can have congenital abnormalities that block the epididymis, which is where the sperm is stored before it's ejaculated, and the vas itself. And there's one congenital abnormality that's relatively common called cystic fibrosis. Now that usually manifests itself by chest infections, children developing chest infections. In males, even though they're not severe and don't have the chest infections, they can have something called absence of the vas deferens. We can test for that by looking at the genes for cystic fibrosis. One in 25 of the population are a carrier of a gene for cystic fibrosis. Now, that doesn't mean that one in 25 men have the problem. The problem only arises if the mother of the child also is the one in 25 carrier. So the odds of having cystic fibrosis of a mild degree is about one in 625. Couples potentially produce a child with cystic fibrosis who, if it's a male in adulthood, might have congenital absence of the vas. But that male is producing normal sperm. It just can't get out. So we can harvest that sperm by sticking a needle into the testicle with anaesthetic, either local or general anaesthetic. Personally, if I was going to be that boy, I would want to have a general anaesthetic. But we can then aspirate sperm and then do ICSI to create the embryos and have the child that they want. Surgery for blocked vasopressins can be useful but is rarely used these days because probably it's better to just get on, aspirate sperm from the testicle, do the IVF and the ICSI. You can have testicular problems without blockage where there is no sperm production. They usually are associated with congenital abnormalities of the chromosomes. The most common of that is something called Kleinfelter syndrome, which is a male with an extra female chromosome. So normally a male is XY. These men have XXY. And that extra X chromosome leads to lack of spermatogenesis, usually tiny testicles and even a slightly small penis. And because they don't produce much testosterone, can have problems with erections. These men, because of their low testosterone levels, can also be, have a fair bit of puppy fat and even breast development. So that diagnosis 10 years ago meant you had to use donor sperm. But science moves on. Now, with a microscope, we can actually look at the testicle once we've dissected it open and find little pockets of sperm. And it seems that around 50% of men with Kleinfelters do have some sperm. Obviously, there's a problem though because some of those sperm will have the extra X chromosome and so we may create further problems for those offspring unless we genetically test the embryos and of course we can do that these days so we don't put back another XYY or XXY zero in fact is another option so we've got to be careful in those situations not to be creating a problem and we can achieve that by doing pre-implantation genetic diagnosis which we've talked about in other podcasts. So reduced sperm counts do contribute substantially to a couple's inability to conceive, but certainly in the last 25 years we've come a long way in being able to help most men have a child that is genetically theirs rather than resorting to donor sperm. Don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website 
www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF Journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.